This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Chicago's air pollution levels are among the worst in the nation. That's according to the American Lung Association. The air quality around Chicago is reportedly the worst anywhere on the planet. The air quality has once again dipped into unhealthy parameters, with our region feeling the consequences of ongoing wildfires across the border in Canada. The past few weeks have been a doozy for air quality in our region, and it's led to people experiencing headaches, trouble breathing, and burning throats and eyes. But even before these wildfires, Chicago had been rated among the top 25 cities with the most air pollution for the past several years, with higher concentrations in areas close to highways and with heavy industry. Now, this can lead to long-term respiratory conditions, even earlier death. So what needs to happen to protect the air that we breathe? Here to give us a glimpse is Brian Urbaszewski. He's Director of Environmental Health Programs at the Respiratory Health Association. Welcome back, Brian. Good to see you. Glad to be here. And Karen Weigert is here, Reset Sustainability Contributor and Director of Loyola University Chicago's Baumart Center for Social Enterprise and Responsibility. Hey, Karen. Great to see you. So I want you to set it up for us, Karen, because we, we've got climate-fueled Canadian wildfires as well as air pollution from trucks and from industry, how should we understand the relationship between these two very different kinds of pollution? There's probably a couple ways to think about it. And you know, you're absolutely right. They're they're different in a sense, but they're related in, in multiple ways. And the one way, unfortunately, to think about it is we're seeing smoke regularly right now from Canadian wildfires. Well, the Canadian wildfires are really being driven, particularly this year, by drought. And then heat, well, that's consistent with climate change. So you're seeing, in some sense, something that's likely exacerbated by the emissions we've put out there. And now we're feeling it in terms of particulate air pollution. And then locally, we've got longstanding challenges as well as some progress as we look at local air quality. So you mentioned you know, vehicles and transportation and industry. Right. Well, those are both creating emissions and they're creating particulates. And then often there's a connection that we end up with ozone as well. So you've both got things that are driving climate change and things that are responding to climate change mm -hmm. that come back here. And we're just having really bad air quality. And so it's a combination of factors that we're experiencing. Now, Monday morning, uh, Brian, our air quality index was at 155, which is unhealthy, right? Mm -hmm. How have you been processing those numbers, especially as it's, it's ranking us as, as having some of the worst air in the world? Well... Like Karen said, we have sort of a chronic air pollution problem that we had before the Canadian wildfires right. showed up. Um, and if you look back over the last month or so in the Chicago region, we've actually only had three green air quality days. So it's been yellow, moderate, where it's a risk for some people, mm -hmm. uh, orange, where it's unhealthy for sensitive groups, people with lung or heart disease, uh, and red and above for, for everybody. Uh, and so we are challenged with, uh, you know, once in a while the Canadian smoke rolls in and, and causes these problems with particulates. Um, but we have, there's two other things going on. Uh, one is um, the Canadian wildfire smoke is more than particles. So there's a lot of ingredients that make the same ozone smog that our industrial and vehicle emissions make uh, on a daily basis. So the fires are kind of supercharging the ozone levels, uh, which is, you know, ozone's a caustic gas that you breathe in. Right. Uh, that we you know, get from the air pollution being cooked by sunshine. Uh, but the Canadian fires are adding to that problem as well. Um, so it's, you know, kind of, <laughs> yeah, it's just making our existing problems worse. Uh, and I think Karen's right. It's like, you know, that when you're 
burning fossil fuels, you're not only creating that local air pollution problem that we have a chronic challenge with, but you're also adding to the carbon dioxide, which is driving global warming. And it gets to this vicious cycle of like hotter Canada, more fires, Mm -hmm. um, more CO2 is being released from those trees being burned, which means it gets hotter, which means there's more fires. And we're kind of on a treadmill here. Yeah. In uh, April 2023, the American Lung Association ranked Chicago as the 17th worst uh, in the country for ozone air pollution. It's improved slightly from last year's report. But what's your reaction to that? The whole way that we try to deal with this problem is to try and force the Clean Air Act. And there are programs that come into the uh, Clean Air Act that say you have to reduce emissions. And that is constantly going on over time. Mm -hmm. Um, So we are making some progress. uh, But at the same time, uh, the science has shown that those air pollutants like the fine particles and ozone are actually more dangerous and cause more health problems at lower concentrations than we previously knew. Um, And so um, we're, we're finding out over years and decades that air pollution is causing more health damage than we initially thought. So mm-hmm. uh, while we have made some progress to, to reduce uh, the air pollution that we're breathing, uh, we're finding more ways that it hurts people. And Karen, so we all understand, understand, remind us of the difference between ozone and particulate matter and the health risks. Sure. And uh, I'll tee that up. And I know Brian's a bit of a guru in some of this. But the particulates are kind of like the little fine particles, and you breathe them in, they can go into your lungs and into your bloodstream. And that can be things that are directly pollution that you might think of it coming out of an exhaust pipe, and it can be dust Mm -hmm. and other things that are in the air. So different different sources combine, and you get little things. They're typically uh, described by size, 2.5 micrometers or smaller, so little itty-bitty things. And then ozone, I love the way you described it. It's like pollution that's cooked locally. Yeah. It's sort of sunlight plus volatile organic compounds, which then creates another kind of pollution, both of which are detrimental to the health in terms of near-term and long-term uh, heart, respiratory, and their cognitive questions as well. But I'll, I'll toss it to Brian yeah, to build sure. on it. Um, you know, when you're talking about the particles, the, the, like Karen said, it's about the size. It's yeah. the issue. Um, these particles, we're talking about particles that are so small that they bypass basically every filter in your body, get to the deepest portions of your lungs and can actually get from your lungs into your bloodstream. Mm. And, when, and so when we talk about like PM 2.5. It's two and a half micrometers. It's about one thirtieth the width of a human hair and smaller. So oh, wow. really tiny particles. Uh, but these things can get in, not only into the lungs and cause lung irritation and, and lung health outcomes, asthma attacks and such, but it can also get into the bloodstream. And that's where you see things like strokes and heart attacks. It can get into the brain where it's been tied to dementia. So wow. there's a lot of health uh, challenges here we have. My goodness. How, do, how does the pollution in the U.S. compare to pollution in other countries, Karen? If you look globally, the the biggest challenges in air pollution are more or less kind of think of it as in middle income countries. So there's something like 7 million deaths every year from air pollution. And if you're thinking about it, North Africa, if you're th- you think about it, Southeast Asia, East Asia, so you've got tremendous air pollution. If you look at cities, uh, the, the the city that broke through the, the global consciousness was in many ways was Beijing right before the 2008 Olympics mm-hmm. when you just couldn't imagine athletes performing. And so there was a very clear focus there. And, and the US Embassy actually had to start publicly tracking uh, air pollution. So that 7 million was a global That's number. That's a global number. Yeah. So globally, there are hotspots that are elsewhere. It, certainly there are challenges, though, within 
in the U.S. And we've seen improvements over time. The Clean Air Act, which is about a 50-year-old act, has had significant impacts. But it was driven by things like, you know, places in Pennsylvania in the 40s where there was just like soup air and people were dying. Same thing that happened in London. And so you've seen trajectories over time. So our air quality is it is okay. It is not terrible globally, but it is not where we need it to be. And if you look at WHO standards or EPA standards, it's not where it needs to be. Yeah, sticking with the Clean Air Act, talk about how it's improved air quality in the U.S. in the past 50 years. Yeah, it, the air quality, the, air, the Clean Air Act really has looked at multiple criteria pollutants. So we're talking about particulates and ozone. It manages those and several others. And it, it requires states to create plans and concrete actions mm-hmm. against multiple elements of it, which has led to reductions in air pollution. So if you think about the, the mythical stories, it was L.A. where you just could never see. Well, you can see a little bit better now. So you can physically see examples of that improvement. You have seen a, you know, double-digit reductions in pollution nationally. Uh, but again, we're not where we need to be. Yeah. And I want to hear from you both on this. When we think about ways of reducing pollution further, are these long term or short term fixes? <laughs> Everything's a short everything is a short term and a long term fix. Okay. Uh, and, it, and honestly, this leans more towards uh, long term fixes because, yeah. um, you know, I was trying to figure out how do you answer the question of like, what do you do to control air pollution? And the the the, the TL. Uh, uh, DR is stop. <laughs> too long, don't read. Yes, don't burn fossil fuels or stop burning fossil fuels. And in Illinois, we've actually made a lot of progress on that front, but there's really like three main categories you have to look at. One is generating electricity. And everybody knows about the coal plants, our big sources of air pollution. And a lot of them have closed. A lot of them are in the phasing out process. Mm-hmm. Natural gas power plants that burn fossil gas are being phased out as well through the big energy bill that Illinois passed a few years ago. Uh, so that's that's a great story. We're building a lot of solar and a lot of wind that doesn't emit any air pollution, either local that harms people's health or the greenhouse gases that we're talking about. Um, the next challenge is really transportation. And there it's like, well, what are we gonna do to get cars and trucks off of fossil fuels? Uh, one of the things that Illinois could do there is to adopt the advanced clean trucks rule, which would ensure that an increasing percentage of new trucks are electric and zero emission over time. And it would get to half the sales by about 2032. Um, that's a big challenge there because there's a lot of vehicles in Illinois. Um, and the governor could do that on his own. Um, the third is buildings. Uh, we heat and cool buildings with natural gas. That's a huge source of fossil fuel emissions. And you're going to hear a lot about heat pumps and electrification of buildings going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, I think just this past week or so, or this past month, uh, Oak Park banned the, um, the use of fossil fuels in new buildings. All new residential and commercial buildings built in Oak Park, I think starting in January, are going to mm-hmm. have to be all electric. Karen, anything to add to that as far as what uh, what this will look like on the city and the state and the federal levels? Like, are, are there other distinct actions taking place? Yeah, I think one way to, to, to think about it is absolutely these are these need to be long term. There are multiple ways to engage. And there are there's lots that, of overlap here, too. There is. And yeah. there actually there absolutely needs to be Think about transportation. It's now the largest source of carbon emissions. So there's a lot in the Inflation Reduction Act at the federal level to electrify transportation, to put in charging infrastructure. That's been paralleled by some of the work in Illinois with a goal of 
you know, million electric vehicles and again, adding infrastructure. So you're seeing now mutually positive reinforcing elements that are happening at the federal level Mm -hmm. and then at the state level. And then you can even amplify that at the city level. So I think there are pathways that are many of which overlap. They both reduce emissions and they reduce local air pollution. There's some things that are a little bit more on the edges. Like I think about construction demolition. That's very bad near term for air quality for particulates. Uh, But the bigger long-term trends around we're burning things. It's putting stuff in the air. That's not good for us. That aligns really nicely with climate reduction. And so you've got a lot of federal money right now that is starting to move tied to, and it's paralleled with a lot of state money that is also beginning to move. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We have seen record air pollution from wildfires in Canada over the past few weeks. Now, this is on top of already high levels of pollution in the area from transportation and from heavy industry. And we're talking about ways of lessening the air pollution that causes some very serious health conditions with Brian Urbaszewski of the Respiratory Health Association and Karen Weigert, who's Reset's sustainability contributor. Uh, You talked about this earlier, Brian, but if you can just expand a bit more, like transportation we know, as we've mentioned, is a huge contributor to to climate change and to air pollution, but uh, give us an overview of what else is being done to, to your point, move away from diesel vehicles in this region and why this is such a focus of your work. Wow. Well, um, there's a couple different elements there. Um, one of the things why we focus on diesel vehicles and like I said, like the advanced clean trucks rule and trying to get that in place in Illinois and, you know, make sure that more electric vehicles, especially the big heavy vehicles uh, sold in Illinois are uh, electric and zero emission. Trucks are only about 7% of the vehicles on the road right now, uh, but they punch way above their weight in terms of the emissions. There's 67% of the nitrogen oxides coming from vehicles. Uh, They're 59% of the particulate matter, the soot particles that are coming out of vehicles. So tackling trucks is is a big priority. Um, Buses is another um, category we've been looking at, and there's been a goal for CTA to transition over to electric buses by 2040. They're in that process. So is the PACE bus system. Um, And... There you get into the the question of like, where are a lot of these diesel vehicles operating because of that local air pollution? It is kind of concentrated. Yeah. And you see uh, big impacts on like the south uh, southwest side of the city along I-55, especially uh, that communities like Little Village are seeing way more uh, air pollution from diesel vehicles mm. than the average community is. Um, and so... Uh, you know, you're seeing communities that are already kind of ill-equipped uh, and don't have the resources to fight air pollution being the most subjected to it. And yeah. so cleaning up those big heavy-duty vehicles is going to bring disproportionate benefits to the communities that are being hardest hit. Yeah. And as we mentioned, you know, there's a, a big push for transitioning to electric vehicles here, as well as across the country and, and the world. How's the Inflation Reduction Act helping these efforts, Karen? So the Inflation Reduction Act, it's the largest investment in climate that the U.S. has ever seen and has multiple prongs within it. And a a piece of that actually is going explicitly towards the acceleration of electric vehicles across multiple types. And as an example, there are now significant incentives for residents to buy EVs and even to buy used EVs, which really gets the price point down and opens up possibilities for more people to have this experience in their own daily life. Mm-hmm. Um, that's then you know, amplified behind the scenes with more work on bigger fleets and on infrastructures. We're thinking about overall trans- transformation. I'd also, there's a significant focus on buildings. Brian mentioned heat pumps. 
So as we think about air quality, we've really been talking a lot about outdoor air quality. We also have to think about indoor air quality and uh, looking at infrastructure that is part of people's daily lives and their homes that is creating fewer carbon emissions and also ensuring good air quality by not burning fuel on site. Those are really big transformations. So there's a lot to be said for electrification of the interior of people's homes, and there's significant funding from that element also in the Inflation Inflation Reduction Act. And as you talked about, Brian, EPA regulations on uh, diesel truck emissions are are coming down the pike. Just talk more about the, um, the way that would improve health outcomes. Well, um, the way I usually describe this to people, it's like you have to think about the rule of holes. The rule of holes, if you're in a hole, stop digging. Uh, Stop making the problem worse. Okay. Um, And so with um, new regulations that would come out that would say you have to start selling more zero emission vehicles in the state, um, that would mean that you're going to get more of those electric vehicles on the road and fewer of the diesel vehicles that are causing a huge portion of this problem. Um, and there's other strategies, too, for uh, requiring cleaner cars to be sold in Illinois that Illinois can consider. There's the advanced clean car standard that California has passed, which you know um, phases out the sale of gasoline and fossil fuel powered vehicles uh, to the point where starting, I think, in like 2035, a hundred percent of new car sales would have to be zero emission vehicles. Oh, okay. So it's it's a it's a process and it ramps up. And uh, like Karen said, there's a lot of money being uh, pushed out of the federal government to the state. The state is creating its own sources of funding to get more like electric vehicle charging stations out there, and that takes time. So these processes are gradual, and you have to kind of ramp up towards them. Mm. But you have to start now. What do you both have your eye on next, Karen? You first. Well, I think Brian's nailed it. It's how quickly does the money start to move and where do we really start to see infrastructure changing and then fleets transitioning? I think that's something to watch with with close attention. And then one thing Brian and I were catching up on uh, before we started is there's actually specific money for school buses. So I've always been a a huge fan of ensuring that our littlest citizens and our littlest residents get to start out their day with new technology and great air. Yeah. What about you, Brian? Um, you know, school, who doesn't love school buses? I mean, this is a, this is a great thing. I mean, the state is putting money behind this. Uh, there's there's actually money that school districts can apply for now from a settlement with Volkswagen, which cheated and emitted way too much pollution from its cars and SUVs, got caught and had to create a funding pool. And the state is using those to buy um, electric school buses right now. There's a huge, there's a, several billion dollars being put forth by the U.S. EPA for clean school buses as well. And yeah. I mean, we're talking kids breathe more air per pound of body weight than adults. They are essentially living, breathing air filters, and you don't want them in close proximity to diesel emissions. Yeah. That's Brian Urbaszewski, Director of Environmental Health Programs at the Respiratory Health Association, and Karen Weigert, who's Director of Loyola University Chicago's Baumart Center for Social Enterprise and Responsibility. Thank you both so much. Thanks. Great to be here.